When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. this episode of the show we're joined once again by nsca hall of famer andy duffy thanks for tuning in to episode number 222 All right, welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We've got a great conversation coming up with Mr. Andy Duffy, all about shotgun shooting on today's episode. But before we get to that, i got to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Everybody out there chipping in, keep these episodes coming your way. Patrons of the show get access to monthly giveaways, some bonus content, discounts from time to time, and we do set everybody up with some Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers. You can sign up for as little as 5 bucks a month and do so at patreon.com forward slash birdshot all right a quick update from one of our partners on the show final rise makers of top quality hunting vests apparel gear and accessories have a limited time sale going on right now if you're listening to this episode shortly after its launch over the memorial day weekend now is your chance to save 10 percent site-wide at finalrise.com that's anything you need a new vest a new pair of brush pants some of their apparel, some gear, or some accessories to complement your existing Final Rise vest system. Maybe you want to pick up one of the turkey vests for next spring. I just put mine to good use this morning, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. But for now, starting yesterday and running through Tuesday, May 30th, you go to FinalRise.com, load up that shopping cart, and use the promo code BIRDSHOT10. That's BIRDSHOT10, capital B-I-R-D-S-H-O-T-1-0. 
all one word. One more time, Birdshot10, B-I-R-D-S-H-O-T-1-0. Birdshot10 will save you 10% on anything at FinalRise.com. You've got until the end of the day, Tuesday, May 30th. Go do it. All right, another quick reminder to mark your calendars for Thursday, June 22nd, if you are in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Twin Cities area. I'll be down at the Horse and Hunt Club with Upland Gun Company doing gun fittings with Del Whitman for most of the week. But on that Thursday, June 22nd, at the end of the gun fitting day, which is going to be happy hour time frame, we're opening up and welcoming anyone down to hang out, check out the shotguns from RFM and Upland Gun Company. Onyx Hunt will be there along with Del Whitman, Jerry Havel, myself. Should be a great time. And if you are in the area and looking for an excuse, to get out of the house, grab a beer, talk shotguns, bird dogs, bird hunting with a bunch of other enthusiasts, you are more than welcome to join us at the Minnesota Horse and Hunt Club. That is Thursday, June 22nd. More information can be found at uplandguncompany.com. Once again this week, I've got a link to a listener survey in the show notes of this episode. If you didn't do it last week and you have just a few moments, I think there's 22 questions, taking maybe five minutes. Click that link, fill out the survey. Just looking to gather some information on listeners and the audience as a whole for the Birdshot Podcast. It would benefit me and the show greatly, and I would really appreciate it if you could take just a moment to do that. All right, last thing before we jump into the conversation with Andy today, I've been providing some little updates on my turkey season here in Minnesota, which culminated with a bird in the bag this morning. So for those that have been following along, I will give a brief recap of the hunt story. And if you don't care about my turkey season update, feel free to skip ahead to the conversation with Andy, which will start momentarily. But for those that want to know, I've had a great season so far, had some close calls, talked about a couple of them here on the podcast, but I had yet to close the deal. But anyways, getting out of the wire here, season ends in Minnesota on May 31st. Holiday weekend this weekend is looking warm and hot, so I'll probably be at the cabin. So I didn't have too many mornings left to get out, but... In a completely chance interaction earlier this week, we had an inquiry come into Upland Gun Company, and the person was local and just so happened to live around the area that I'm generally turkey hunting. So naturally, I inquired about bird activity and if he had seen anything recently. And long story short, this individual has a beautiful piece of hunting property that he pretty much maintains for grouse and a little bit of deer and confirmed there were turkeys on it and that he would not mind if I went down and tried my luck at bagging one. So very fortunate and gracious to have connected with this individual on multiple levels, but certainly for offering me a chance to go down and hunt his property, which I did go to this morning and it is a beautiful piece of property. I think from the minute I opened my truck door, I heard grouse drumming about the entire time I was there. So his habitat work and management work has absolutely been successful up to this point and will continue to be. But anyways, I got in there. He gave me some pointers on where some likely areas might be. I heard some very distant gobbling. Nothing seemed and or felt really promising right away. I sat down for a little bit on a really nice oak knob, kind of listening, not wanting to go blazing into the property and blow anything up and eventually didn't hear anything other than some very distant gobbling, which I assumed was coming from a field or two that I had reviewed on Onyx Maps, of course. So I decided to start making my way towards those fields as I approached the first one where I actually thought I heard multiple birds gobbling from. Everything was quiet there. I called into it, nothing responded, and then I heard another gobble in a different direction, but immediately towards the other field I was thinking there could be birds in. So I made a quick loop back out to a main trail, and cruised along a really, really nice oak flat that basically comes to a head and then drops off into that field where I thought I heard the bird. And as I was approaching that, I slowed way down, 
was very careful. This bird was gobbling on its own. He had, I think he had gobbled a couple times while I was making my way there. Got closer to the field, heard him gobble again, and then was faced with the decision on whether or not I continue to creep closer. I kind of wanted to peer over this edge, but I thought, let's be patient. It was early. I got all day ahead of me. I don't need to go in and blow anything up. So I pulled back, sat right down against a big oak tree, kind of got settled in, cleared away the leaves, pulled out my little glass call, which is the one I'm the most capable on, I think. Gave a few clucks of purr and a little yelp, and sure enough, he gobbled right back. I put that thing down and waited. A couple minutes went by, I hear a close gobble. He's definitely cut the distance, and he's, I'm assuming, right below the lip of this knob that I'm sitting on. And the next part that happened, I don't know why I did it, but I reached down into the leaves and did a couple scratches in the leaves, and I maybe even hit the mouth call softly. Again, I have no idea why I was thinking that. I think I was confident he was coming in. He obviously knew where I was. I I really, in hindsight, I wished I wouldn't have done that because the next thing I saw was a turkey's head bobbing quickly and dipping back down below the lip of this ridge. I don't quite know what happened. I couldn't see the bird when I was scratching, but I think he maybe saw something or just that scratching. He just didn't like it for whatever reason. I, I have no idea. Maybe he was just wary, didn't see anything. He obviously heard me, but I have no idea why he went back down that lip and everything went quiet. And I sat there totally deflated, thinking I had just done myself in on what kind of felt like a sure thing. The setup was great. The cover was open. There's some big oak trees in there, but not a lot of brush. So I was kind of, again, overconfidently thinking I was going to get the whole show. He was going to come right in and strut. And sure enough, that didn't happen. So he fades away and it goes quiet for a a period of time that's longer than any time he was gobbling on his own. So I was, my mind was racing thinking I had just ruined it. I pulled the glass call back out, a couple purse clucks. He gobbled. He was down back below in a different spot. He kind of moved around me but he was further away than the last time he gobbled. So that gave me a little bit of hope, but having not had a ton of encounters like this, I really had no idea what to do, but I stayed there, sat patiently. I think I tried the call one more time. I know I tried the call one more time because he did not respond, and then that brought back all of the doubt and all the fear that I had just ruined a golden opportunity. So I sat there, kind of sulking, kind of contemplating, and I don't know how long it was, five minutes maybe, probably. All of a sudden, I see his head sticking up right back where I saw his head bobbing away the first time. And he's straight up periscoping, looking around. I kept it cool. And then he started to slowly kind of creep in a perimeter. He was not coming right at me, but he was going to move around where I was positioned. And he was in range. I had shooting lanes through these big oak trees, but it was a distance that I had to be careful. He was out there. But I felt pretty comfortable with it just based on what I had seen to that point. And anyways, he started to slowly creep. And I it'd be interesting if I would have had the confidence to see how that played out, if he maybe would have looped around and come all the way in. I had no idea. But obviously at that point, I'm thinking I just ruined the hunt. Now I've got another opportunity. I moved when he was behind an oak tree, got my gun slowly moving, and was watching him as he passed through a couple different shooting windows. And by the time he came to maybe the third or fourth one, I was ready. I felt good. He was there. I think he even paused and I did not hesitate. Dropped the hammer and down he went. And that was the end of my turkey hunt, which was a little mini roller coaster ride in and of itself. It was an awesome experience. Excitement, defeat, success, all mixed into one in a very short period of time. Really, really cool. And I continue to enjoy the heck out of my turkey hunting adventures. And I will be looking forward to next year's season when that time comes. So once again, 
Huge thank you to my new landowner friend, just in case he's listening. That was such a cool opportunity, and I am very, very thankful I got a chance to go do that. And that's a wrap for my 2023 turkey hunt update. So let's get into the real reason you all tuned in today. We want to hear from NSCA Hall of Famer Andy Duffy. Once again, we had him on the show a few years ago. It's been a long time. Andy is an incredibly accomplished clay shooter. He grew up hunting upland birds. He loves shotguns, shotgun shooting. He's a wealth of knowledge, has a ton to share, which you will definitely learn on today's show if you did not catch his episode a few years ago. I put a link to that in the show notes. If you haven't heard that, it would be worth going back and listening to, especially if you enjoyed today's conversation. So with that said, let's jump right into it and welcome into the conversation and back to the Birdshot Podcast, Andy Duffy. Excited to have you back. Welcome back to the show. Andy Duffy, how are you today, man? Um, very well. It's a beautiful day here in Humble, Texas. Excellent. Excellent. We're uh it's a pretty nice day here, although the the sky is a bit hazy, which I don't know this for certain, but I am assuming is due to Canadian wildfires. I can see the sun, but it's not coming through all the way, so I guess it's that time of year as well. Yeah, that was something that uh you know, wildfires, believe it or not, you know, I lived in Montana fires there was just a fire season you know mm-hmm. there were times where you'd be a beautiful sunny day and you barely see it because of the smoke but yeah you know, every every paradise has has something that makes it makes it hard to live there you know it's like i, I guess up in michigan it's winter you know you just gotta, yeah yeah winter, winter comes <laughs> comes early and stays late yeah yeah and we had a we had a long one this year it, it didn't I guess it came relatively early here in Minnesota, but it it hung on a long, long time. And you were just you're just commenting how you you're getting rain and it's good for the grass. And we're uh, I'm starting to see some green. I'll say that, but that's about it so yeah. far. <laughs> well, I just looked up the last time. It's funny how often I do this. I, my brain must must kind of work in these rhythms, and I'm a little rusty. I haven't. I don't think I've shot a shotgun since last since bird season ended, which would have been in December for me. And I looked up when we had you on the podcast last was roughly, gosh, was that three or four years ago? But it was May, May of 2019, we had you on the podcast. So here we are in May of 2023 talking to Andy Duffy once again. Happy to have you back. We're going to talk shooting and game birds and shotguns and all that fun stuff today but why don't you just take a moment i know we covered some of this stuff in the in the first time we had you on but give the listeners just a brief background on your on your shooting and and instructing well uh my my dad was a pretty serious bird dog guy uh you know it's funny he was never about killing birds he was all always about working dogs and i got pressed into service gunning pigeons over his his uh setters when i was 10 and uh that that led one thing to led to another you know and i just you know we we shot my dad loved to shoot everything you know, he had rifles pistols shotguns but you know the advent of the bird dogs really made us uh focus more on that that discipline than any others but i was raised shooting all three so i, I kind of got an idea that you know they're all radically different uh, pistols and rifles are about aiming shotguns are about pointing and and when you understand the differences and how how much more difficult it is to shoot a pistol and then you know step into a rifle how much easier it is to hold the sights aligned and break the trigger without disturbing the sights you know all the things about you fascinated my father so i i was exposed to all of it at an early age but 
shotgunning was something that was always something that uh, that really resonated with me. I'm so. I'm maybe making this up, but did you grow up in New York? I have that in the back of my mind for some reason. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. My my dad was born. My father was born in Harlem, and uh, raised in Yonkers. I was born in Yonkers and raised in Middletown, which uh, Middletown, New York, at the time was quite a rural area. You know, we uh, we had. I mean, it was a mile to the nearest neighbor uh, where where we where I was raised, and you know we had 2,400 acres of county property across the street that was full of deer and grouse, and woodcock, and a big beaver pond over there. We shot ducks on. I mean, it was just there was always something to do, you know. Yeah, and you uh, when did you get the? Obviously, your dad made you a shooter because he needed one. But when did when did you get the when did you get the competitive? shooting thing and, and dive into that stuff? Well, you know, I've always, it, I think being competitive is something that is part of your nature. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, you know, we were, I think we were probably eight or 10 years old. And one of my friends says, let's have a holding your breath contest. And, and, you know, I, so we got a, a glass bowl and filled it with water. And I, I made sure to go last and everybody, you know, did about 30 seconds. And I, I could look through the bowl and look at my watch so I could see what, how much time I had to go, you know, your brain starts to play on you. But the thing is, I, I, I had a strategy for how to win the competition. And for some reason, that's, that's the way my brain has always worked. You know, there's, there's, there's strategies of attack that can make you more effective. And I don't know, I just, I, I guess I always had a rudimentary, rudimentary knowledge of how your brain could trip you up. Mm. You know, if you, if you believe something's true, you're probably right. You know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. That's I, I find that to be remarkably prescient information. Yeah, without a doubt. Regarding that makes me think of something. Would you say that, you know, given that you've, you've competed at a, at a very high level, champion level, one of the things you hear a lot about golf is, is, you know, when you get up to the top, the shooters are so good. Like the difference between one versus the other is often, you know, the six inches between your ears. I mean, is that kind of what it's like when you're, when you're competing at that really high level? Uh, you know, it's funny. That's, uh, that's something that there are, uh, there's some mental coaches around that like to make a big deal about this being 90% mental. Mm. <clears throat> I think that, uh, I think that there's never never been anything more perfect in in the world proportionally 50-50. It comes down to technique and and the, the ability to implement your technique mentally. Um, somebody that says this game's 90% mental doesn't know what they're talking about. Now, if if you look at how the generations, you know, how how you come through stages in learning. Yep. When you first start to learn how to shoot, you make many different mistakes, most of them physical. And as you learn how to shoot a rabbit or a long cross or a chandelle, as you learn how to do all those things, you make fewer and fewer physical mistakes. Then you start to shift into making mental errors. But the key to, to fixing the mental errors is thinking about what you're doing physically. Mm, yeah. So if you're thinking about how you're moving on that target, you're so busy thinking about how you're moving on that target and where that move is going to wind up, I call it moves and pictures. If you're thinking about making a move and seeing a picture, then there's no hit or miss involved. It's just the act of swinging the shotgun to this place. And that's what, that's what leads to success. Uh, you know, your question earlier was about, you know, how did I get into to competition? Uh, you know, my father gave me the love of shooting. My competitive nature was something that 
needed an outlet and shooting a shotgun found that outlet. Uh, but I found early on that I, my practice scores were way better than my tournament scores. So I, it's been a lifelong quest to see, to really research and learn why that is. And, and when you start thinking about, you know, if you're out there with four of your buddies walking through a field in South Dakota and you've missed the last three cockbirds that got up in front of you, you're really trying for that, that fourth one. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and you're probably going to be working on the fifth one too, at the same result. If you start thinking, you know, I'm, I've been shooting a lot of clays lately and I'm, I'm leading these things too much. That's typically what happens when you transfer from clays to game. Clays start off fast and slow down. Birds start off slow and speed up. Mm-hmm. And top speed of a cockbird isn't really very fast. I mean, look at them. They're a great big bird with a little tiny wing. They, they don't fly very fast. Yeah. So that's something to know. I, when I shoot a game bird, I make sure I, I insert the barrel on the backside. And when I get to their head, I pull the trigger and I let my gun speed do the work. And, and very rarely do I do anything other than that. Now, if you're shooting teal or, or doves, you know, with some distance on them, I've seen some quite considerable amount of lead on that situation, <clears throat> but those are targets that are, you know, flying at 60 miles an hour, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's, so, you know, knowing what you're doing and, and the, the game you're after is important. But when you're jump shooting ducks off a creek, how fast is a mallard, you know, big Drake mallard going? If you start behind, you know, underneath them and get to that green head, you'll, you'll put them on the, on the water every time. So, you know, knowing what you're doing, uh, that's, that's really an important thing. But also knowing how pressure negatively affects what you're doing. That's something else, too. You know, so it's... It, shooting a shotgun saved my life, you know, it gave me something to think about. And, and, and you know, all my friends, you know, if I say to them, you know, I've been thinking, they all laugh and say, yeah, cause that's what you do. I'm always thinking about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we like you on the podcast, Andy. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, I'm just jotting down a note. I, I want to make sure I ask you some, about something, but the, I am curious to dig in a little bit deeper. The, you mentioned, you know, your, your practice scores are better than your, then your competition scores or you notice that you notice that pattern and you kind of you know alluded to that you're that was you were sort of driven to figure out what that was what are some of those ways are there more examples you can like how do you how it's it's the pressure affecting the situation you're putting more pressure on yourself and then you're just more prone to making those mental mistakes which are basically physical mistakes i mean what what else is going on there well what it comes down to is there's there's two different kinds of focus. There's action focus and there's result focus. And, you know, I know you're mostly a, a, a podcast about bird hunting and, yeah. and shooting. Uh, when, when we shoot sporting clays, we have a thing called uh, last pair-itis. And last pair-itis is you get to the last pair and you miss one. After hitting the first three pairs on the fourth pair, which is your final pair, right. you drop a target. Right. If you hit the first three, what the heck are you doing missing one on the last? So typically here, here's how it goes. You start off with the first one. You think, okay, we got a crosser. That looks like high four in a ski field. It's a 20 yard crosser. And then on report goes this straightaway bird. that looks like the post three on a trap field center bird going straight away. And so it's this one here, you know, crosser needs some gap. You know, to me, if I was to give you a number, I would see about a foot and a half a gap on that, uh, which is indiv- individual to me. You know, based on how fast I move the gun, I'm going to see about that gap. Then the second one, I'm going to gently come to the top edge of it, lifting the gun a little bit. 
And so I'm thinking about the move is a lateral move to a foot and a half. And then I'm going to do that right over top of the trap house, drop straight down. And when that second one comes out, my barrel will be right in line with it. I'm going to gently move to the top because if you move too high, you can go over top. That's why every trap gun on the planet shoots high. They, they don't want to have a vertical move in their gun because they're going to miss high on that bird. But when you shoot sporting clays, there's so many different targets that fall mm. that yeah. a high shooting gun will be a, a, a detriment in that, in that situation. So we shoot guns that shoot pretty much where we're looking. They might shoot a little high, but they're still pretty much where we're looking. So I'm thinking of these two things, making a, a lateral move from, you know, targets coming left to right, going to a foot and a half straight over top of that second house. When that one comes out, I'm going to go to the top edge gently. This is what we're thinking about for the first pair. Call polio, smack, smack, and you drill that pair. Now you drop two more shells in the gun, and you're thinking about the move you're going to make. It's a lateral move, and where does that move wind up? A foot and a half in front of that target. Now when that second bird comes out, I'm going to gently get to the top edge, gently, because if I move hard, I'm going to pop over the top. See, you're thinking about the move you're going to make to the picture you're going to see. And you call pull, smack, smack. Now you've got four of them in the heart. And you have this thought in your head, man, I am right in the middle of these, pull. Now, notice that it had nothing to do with how you're going to move and what picture you're going to see, where, where that destination for that move is. But it just happened 10 seconds before, so it's relatively fresh in your mind. And you get it done. But instead of two balls of dirt, you get a little chip off the top of the first one, and you knock the second one in half. So when you've done that, you've thrown 377 BBs at the first one. And you miss them with 376 of them because you only hit them with one. <laughs> now you go to the next one, same load of eights, you know, about 377 of them in an ounce and an eighth. I want to say I'm going from memory, which is flawed. But let's say you did 377 of them launched at that target and you again hit it with one. That's what a razor blade break looks like, one pellet hit. That means you missed with 376 of them. Now, the next thing that happens is your brain says, oh, man, you almost messed that up. All right. All right. Don't miss. All you do is hit this pair and you're on the station. Hit this pair, hit this pair, hit this pair, hit this pair. That's all you're thinking about. Now, the problem here is that hit this pair, that's the result. I ask all my clinics, I ask them straight up, what's the job shooting a shotgun? I got four people in a four-hour clinic. They're sitting there looking at me. I said, what's the job shooting a shotgun? To a man or a woman, they will say, hit the bird. Very, very infrequently, I'll get have fun. Since when is having fun a job? Right. But I tell them, no, it's not, the job is not hitting the bird. The job is to put the gun in the right place, which if you do, what happens to the bird? It breaks. So on your last pair, you've just barely got your third pair. Now, as soon as you're in that last pair, you are thinking about trying to run the station, which has nothing to do with making a lateral move to a foot and a half and a gentle move to the top edge. Nothing to do with how you're moving the gun and where that move is going to wind up. Notice that I'm talking about how I'm physically going to move the gun. If I'm thinking about the physical, where's my mental game? It's on what I'm going to do. So the action focus, result focus, right? In the middle of shooting four pairs, you have shifted from being perfectly action focused. I'm making this action, this lateral move to a foot and a half, this gentle move to the top edge. You've done that two pairs. Then you had no focus for the third pair because, man, I'm right in the middle of these. That's no focus. And you barely got it done because it was, it was still a little fresh in your mind, right? But then you get to that last one. Now that, that, that no-focus third pair has opened the door to wrong focus. And now you're thinking about running the station. And if you're thinking about running the station, you're not thinking about moves and pictures, you're going to miss. Much the same as if you're thinking about the four pheasants that you have missed 
in front of your friends, because out there on South Dakota, you're going to be the tallest thing on the horizon. So when you miss, the other three guys are going to see it. <laughs> this introduces the problem of result. Folks, you're thinking about, oh, God, I got to kill the next one. I got to kill it. And the next one is invariably you, you kick it in the butt as you're walking. It gets up off your shoelaces and flies away. And if you're shooting a semi or a pump gun, you put three or four shots in that thing and don't cut a feather. Now you're the object of you know, ridicule. So there's the, the pressure to perform where they're going to write your number on the board or you're going to get ridiculed by your friends. You know, these are all pressures to perform. Mm. And they're also pressures that keep you from thinking about action focus. I'm walking along. Every year I would miss the first six grouse I shot at because I'd be all keyed up from shooting clays. Now I practice my mount. And when I practice my mount, I, I have an old, my, my Parker is, uh, I've got a 20 gauge original VHE. It was built, I think it was built in 1914. And it's just my favorite gun. I don't, I, if I hunt with a different gun, I feel like I'm cheating on her. Right? <laughs> so it's, it's one of those kind of guns. And I, I actually got a set of 16 gauge Parker repro barrels fit to it. So the 20 is, is skeet and modified, which I use for quail and grouse and woodcock and uh, shoot doves with it quite a bit. Um, but that's, you know, four more tight cover, closer shots. And the 16 gauge is mod and full, and it's a tight mod and full. Mm. Kriegoff actually made the barrels for Parker Reproductions. And uh, so I, I had those barrels. A good friend of mine from the Beretta Gallery, a guy named Ed Anderson, fit the barrels to me, to, to the receiver for me. And uh, and that's the only gun I hunt with, I, you know, when I'm hunting upland birds. I have a Browning Maxis that I like to duck hunt with. But other than that, it's that gun for everything. The thing about when you're transitioning from a target gun with a single trigger to a side-by-side -side with a double trigger, I practice my mount and I touch the two triggers. I touch the front, I touch the back. And so I'm walking through the woods and I practice my mount, touch, touch, practice my mount, touch, touch. And all I'm doing is pre-staging my brain to realize that I've got this gun and it's got two triggers. And, you know, I, it, it only takes, you know, the first day I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. But I'm also at the same time practicing, thinking about starting behind, get to their head. And I, I really work hard at trying to see a, a bird's eye. If I can't see the eye of a grouse, very often I'll see the beak and the, and the crest of their head. Uh, so if you're trying to see the eye, you're trying to see the head. If you don't see the eye, you'll see the head. And it's, it's really something that if you're trying to see that part of the bird, it's amazing how many times I've shot grouse in the head because that's what I was looking at. Uh, much the same when you're, when you're shooting a, a quail. When a, when a covey of quail gets up, I'm doing my best to tell if that's a cockbird or a henbird I'm about to shoot. And the way you do that is cockbird has a white face, henbird has a yellow face. And I'm, I'm doing my best to identify that bird before I pull the trigger. Because so if I can see that mask on their face, I'm looking at their head. Mm -hmm. And when you look at something that, you know, if I start my gun behind and when I get to the head, pull the trigger, that bird is going on the ground. That's how it's going to work. So these are the things you're thinking about. And, and these are the translations from clays to game. If you're, if you're thinking about it, when you get in the field, if you've been doing shooting nothing but clays, you're going to miss in front of a bunch of birds unless you're thinking like this. I mean, it used to be, I mean, first five, six years, I was, you know, really seriously shooting clays. The first week I shot game birds, I, I really didn't 
connect very much at all until it dawned on me. Like, well, this is a dynamic difference. Birds start off slow and speed up. Clays start off fast and slow down. Yeah. So, you know, the things I'm doing on clays now, when I'm shooting a quartering angle, if I got a climbing quartering angle, I'll start behind it on a clay target. I'll start behind and get to the head, just like I'm doing to that, that quail I'm trying to shoot. But there's so many other situations where I'm just, you know, well away from the target. You know, the game, the game has progressed to the point where there are so many superb shots anymore. I mean, you look at Anthony Matteris. I, sh- I shot the fit task at the U.S. Open this year with him. Mm. And I watched that guy shoot. And he missed two targets in the first first round and then shot the next 85 targets. And there wasn't a cheap one in the bunch. It was spectacular shooting. And, and you know, it's I'm such a an aficionado about shooting a shotgun that when I watch a guy do it like that, it just gives me chills. You know, it's just something that is so absolutely beautiful to watch. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, and I, I ran with him the first two rounds. I shot, I, he had 48 out of 50 and I did as well. And the, I, I think there was a part of me that was trying to keep up with him after that. And I just, I went to, <laughs> went to tank, but, but it was still, it was, it was such a great time. I really enjoyed it, you know, and, and that's, you know, when you can appreciate somebody else that's doing it so well, and, and that person is absolutely spanking your butt and still really enjoy yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's just a game that you want to be a part of. It really is. That's cool. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and Fred of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Man, that was that was. There's a lot to download there, Andy. I I I some notes now. We got we got to we got to circle back to. A, so I one thing I did. I looked up. I love the pellet count charts. So I I double checked your uh, reference there. And actually, your your example was maybe even more poignant because uh, in an ounce and an eighth of eight shot, you got 461 pellets. So you missed with 460 in that example you were giving. <laughs> Well, I stand corrected. Four hundred six below to eight. You know, one ounce. I was thinking about. I don't know, but I, you know, it's, it's still a. It makes the point. You I know, knew you. Yeah, you, we we knew what you were what you were what you were getting at there. Uh, indeed, the clays to birds. I, I've been. I actually, I was I was poking around a bit because we were talking yesterday 
about your uh, Phil Bourgeois right writer, shotgun writer, and um, you had you had done some hunting with him. So I was reading some of his stuff this morning, and he referenced you in an article talking about it was just a brief brief little snippet about that kind of same concept where if you you could get caught off guard shooting in front of game birds if you're transitioning from clays because of that that speed factor that's going on, and I think a lot of times you'll hear people say something like you'll never miss in front of a bird, right? You, you I, I feel like I hear that often enough where it kind of gets you in trouble. Cause I, you know, clearly what you're saying, you can miss in front of a bird, right? Well, it's, yeah. It, I mean, it's an interesting point. The, the thing about it, we start learning how to shoot with a BB gun. And what do you do with a BB gun? You got a, you got a, a can sitting on the, on the log and you line the sights up and you hold the sights as steady as you can and you break the trigger, which can be quite difficult if you're shooting a red rider. I mean, them triggers are just atrocious. <laughs> but but you're you're doing that and when you line that up just right and you shoot right at that can, you get that satisfying dink and the can falls off. Yeah. So how many how many BBs do you shoot before you get graduated to a twenty two? Then you get a, a soda, you know, pop can and you fill it with water. So now you get the hydrostatic shock. So when you shoot that thing, it, it comes into pieces and jumps off the log. It's much more satisfying. But you're still doing the same thing. You're pointing right at that can, aligning the sights as, as well as you can, and, and breaking the trigger without disturbing the sights. This is aiming. Now, how many of those BBs did you shoot? How many of those 22s did you shoot? And if you shot, if you had the sights aligned somewhere else other than the target, what happened? You missed. Mm. Okay, so now this, understand you've got, you know, let's say you've shot 10,000 shots added up between the BB gun and the 22. 10,000 examples of shooting right at something and being rewarded with a hit. What's the next target that they take? You're going to shoot, you teach you how to shoot a shotgun. They take you to the sporting clays range and they throw you a 20 yard incomer that peaks and then lands, hits the ground 20, you know, 20 yards, hits the ground 20 yards away. So it's, let's say it's 30, 35 yards away when you're shooting at it but you're going to point right the heck at it. So you got more examples of shooting right at stuff <clears throat> with a shotgun. What happens when they're going to throw you a crosser? What are you expected to do? You're going to shoot right the hell at it and miss behind. Mm. Now, everybody goes through this when they shoot rabbits, because believe it or not, when you start swinging the gun on a rabbit target, that's bouncing on the ground. See a rabbit hits the ground. And every time it hits the ground, there's a massive amount of, of friction robbing that target of its forward movement, right? So every time it hits the ground, it goes slower and slower and slower. Now, there's an optical illusion there because the, because the target's right on the ground, it's like if you're driving your car and you look at the ground right next to the car, it's just a blur. You look out away from the car and you can see everything moving by. Well, because that rabbit's on the ground, it gives you the impression that it's a lot faster than it actually is. Yeah. Then the next thing that happens is, is you know, you when you're a new shooter, you get the gun moving, and, and just when the target's touching that, the barrel's touching that target, you pull the trigger and you blow it in a million pieces because you're shooting right at it. Because believe it or not, in the in the time you move to that rabbit, you've generated some momentum, and your brain, your mom, some momentum, and your brain says now, but a tenth of a second later, when your finger actually pulls the trigger, because there's a little delay between your brain sending the signal and your finger actually doing the deed of pulling a trigger, that barrel will have traveled out in front of that rabbit that little bit and because it's going so slow. <clears throat> that little bit of forward allowance generated from gun speed, because you've heard speed is lead, right? Yeah. That's This is how it works. Your brain saw that you shot right at the target, but when the gun actually went off, the barrel had tracked slightly farther out in front, and you just blow that rabbit into 
dust. You just cram it. All new shooters are good at rabbits. I don't care who you are. All new shooters are good at rabbits. Now, after you learn to shoot that 20-yard incomer, the next thing they throw you is a 20-yard crosser. Say high four in a skeet field. And you shoot right at it and you miss it. You shoot right at it and you miss it. You shoot right where you miss it. You're missing behind because you're shooting right at it. But this target is fast enough that the momentum you're generating isn't enough to get out in front. So now you got to learn how to do something new. And what that thing is, is you got to learn how to shoot where the target isn't. You've got to learn to be comfortable shooting where that target is not. Now, think about the 10,000 examples you've had of shooting right at stuff. This does not compute. Right. So I tell people, I said, listen, the next target you shoot, I don't want you to hit it. And they look at me. What? I said, you're not allowed to hit it. Your, your, your permit to shoot that target is revoked. I want you to miss it in front. If it feels good, you have messed it up. I want you to miss it in front. And a lot of times I'll give them an example. If you were to draw a line and that's the track the target's riding in, you're not supposed to shoot the target. You're supposed to shoot the line in front. And I don't care how much, it just got to be front. And I can't tell you the, the percentage of people that hit the next target is, is above 90. And, and all the people that have had lessons with me that are, might happen to be listening to this right now are nodding their head going, uh-huh, seen it, watched it. <laughs> so as soon as you get somebody to, ha- to have some success shooting out in front of a target, now they start, now you go, oh, well, huh, you can be, because your subconscious has never been successful shooting away from a bird ten, or a target, 10,000 examples of shooting away from it you know, or at it. And then however many times you shot away from it, you missed. Right. So, so now this is a new frontier. Well, it doesn't take long for that to become something that is comfortable for a new shooter, especially if they've got somebody that's given them a lesson say, no, no, this one needs a little forward allowance. Cause here that target's traveling, you know, when, by the time the shot goes from here to there, that target will have traveled this much. And that's how far in front you want to allow. That's why they call it forward allowance. So now Let's circle back to the rabbit. So now we've got crossing targets that people are shooting and going good. And now we come back to the rabbit. So now here's this person that has been absolutely wonderful at shooting rabbits because a little bit of gun speed, get a little bit of gun speed going, gets this rabbit done. Well, now they've learned how to be comfortable shooting out in front of a target. So here comes the rabbit. And instead of just letting gun speed do it and touch, you know, get the barrel to the bird, pulling the trigger and letting the gun speed do the work. Now they go to a gap and they miss in front. Mm. Now here's what happens when they miss in front. If you've ever shot sporting clays, Nick, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. You see the dirt pick up behind the rabbit. Here's the problem. Pattern hits the ground. Rabbit rolls by dirt kicks up. <clears throat> so the optical illusion, there's a delay between when the rat, when the pellets hit the ground, and the dirt kicks up all around the rabbit. So what you do is you lead it more and you lead it more. Now, all of a sudden, the dirt is kicking up all around the rabbit. Well, if the dirt's kicking up all rabbit, around the rabbit, it doesn't that mean that the pellets are already on the ground? See where I'm going with this? Yeah. So people that learn how to, how to give forward allowance to targets have to learn that not all targets need forward allowance. A rabbit is a typical, typical target that doesn't need forward allowance. It needs gun speed. And all you got to do is get the gun to it. Clay birds are, you know, that particular clay bird is one that doesn't need any forward allowance, just needs gun speed. So many game birds are the same way. When you're in the middle of shooting that pheasant in South Dakota that you missed four of, you say, ah, I've been shooting a lot of clays. Yeah, just make sure you start behind them and try and shoot them in that red cheek patch. That's the thing that I want to get my gun to. The next one is going on the ground. 
And that's, that's, these are the kind of things that you learn. And, you know, I always get a kick out of guys that yell at their dog for bumping a bird, right? That haven't spent a minute on the clay's range. Right. So when the dog does it right, the bird gets up. And I've said this, I can't tell you how many times I've said this to guys that I'm hunting with. They, a dog goes on point, locks up, the woodcock gets up, it's 20 yards away, it's a perfect shot. They get their little 28 gauge there with no choke, and they're, they're ready. I mean, they're perfectly set up for this bird, and they whiff both shots. And I said, if I was your dog, I would bite you in the calf right now. <laughs> Especially after the, the ass chewing that you gave him for bumping that grouse a little while ago. I mean, you know, this is a team. You know, you got to hold your, your part of the team up. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you got a, a dog that's, that's doing the best he can. I mean, every now and then a dog's going to, you know, come at a bird upwind. He's not going to know it's there. You know, there's just, there are birds out there that have PhDs. We used to have one that we used to hunt. It was off of Whipple Road in, in Mount Hope, New York. And we would, it, it was a pheasant air stocking area for the local club, but there was a grouse there. And every time you'd shut the door in the parking lot, you'd hear, you'd hear that grouse flush. And I said to my uncle one day, I said, we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to get that bird. And I, I walked from the backside of this cover, which was a swamp. I walked through the swamp with knee boots on, right? Got in position between where this bird normally was and, and the pines it would take refuge in. And sure enough, my uncle showed up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and slammed the door, and this bird came by me, and I killed it. It was the biggest rough grass I ever killed. And I felt so bad that it took the two of us to gang up on that bird and beat him. I mean, I... <laughs> So he was there. It was two years that bird beat us regularly, and we had to. We had to. You know, I, I just felt like a real schmuck to do that sort of thing. But. <laughs> anyway. uh, yeah, uh, the point well taken. The bird dogs deserve the benefit of the doubt, without a doubt. Especially if you got a guy that that you know does everything but doesn't apply. You know, he's training the dog. He's working the dog. He's he's roading the dog. Dog's ready. He hasn't fired a shot on a sporting clays range. And, you know, there are guys out there that believe that shooting clays wrecks you for shooting game. Now, there's a certain amount of truth to it if you don't know the difference dynamically. But, you know, all you got to do is run across a guy like me, and I can sort it out for you in a minute. Make sure you start the gun behind it, and when you get to the head, pull the trigger. Now, everybody listen to this. Remember me on opening day. Start the gun behind it. When you get to the head, pull the trigger. See what happens. Yeah, I love that. I, th- I think that you're you're definitely speaking to me. I mean, I've I've shot – yeah, I've shot sporting clays, not a ton, but I try to, I try to get out, you know, two to two or three times a month in the summer, you know, like, like a lot of people. And I feel like I've definitely experienced some of those, you know, I've had the success. And, and when I first started shooting, like really shooting sporting clays with some mentors of mine a few years ago, I was totally lost. And they're, they're helping me a little bit. When you start breaking clays with that sight picture where you've got a pretty significant gap between between the bird and where you're shooting, you know, having the faith and confidence to shoot where the target isn't, you do that. And then I think very, very quickly, I start applying that, you know, on every station, not, not understanding the fundamentals and the differences of each station, like you pointed out with the rabbit. And that's where I get, where I get lost. You know, I start trying to just copy and paste a a certain thing. And then, and then if you do that in the, in the game bird, you're in the, in the field, then you can really get yourself into trouble. You know, it's funny, but the there's things about shooting one gun all the time, you know, like with me mm-hmm. and Ed Parker, I've had it where, you know, hunting out in South Dakota, we have friends of ours that have a ranch. It's got just full. It, it, every time we go there, it's full of sharp tails. And I just love hunting sharp tails. Oh yeah. And, 
and uh, and you know, it's oddly enough, I really like eating them too. You know, they're yeah, they're I, great. I think it's been acquired. Well, yeah, but some people don't like the dark meat. You know, right. I problem. I, I really enjoy it. Yep. But anyway, the uh, I've I've had it before where I've I had a bird get up a good distance away and I shot the back trigger, which was the full choke. Yep. And and not even ever realized that I was doing that. But I, you know, some part of my brain said, that's a long way away. You better use the back trigger. And yeah. I pulled the trigger when I loaded and I didn't notice it until I loaded the gun and I cracked it open. I was like, oh, oh look at that. <laughs> back and trigger bird. You know, just, yeah, it comes down to, to, you know, being familiar with your, your tools, you know, and, but yeah, it's, there's, there's all kinds of crossover information and it's amazing how many, how many people, I mean, if you just had one lesson one lesson can make such a huge difference. You know, I, I've worked with some professional golfers and, you know, you give them just a little bit of, bit of help there. Those guys are such phenomenal athletes. Right. That, and, but it's they're they understand the value of, of lessons. You know, there's, I, I can't think of one professional golfer out there that can look you in the eye and say, never had a lesson. Maybe there is, uh, you know, maybe Bubba Wallace or somebody like that. I don't know, but but, you know, for the most part, you hear them talking about their coaches. Well, what's their coach? Their coach is their teacher. So, you know, they're they're being taught how to do this. And, you know, maybe it's something about being an American. You know, we're all supposed to be born good shots. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really see that as being a – I mean, I, my father was teaching me how to do this since I was six years old. You know, we were shooting 22 pistols that he had to hold the bottom of because my hands weren't big enough to hold a gun. You know, they just – I mean, more than anything, what my dad did for me is he just gave me the love for it yep. and and then gave me the opportunity to do it. You know, I took it from there. You know, think about all the people out there now that are doing the same thing with their kids. You know, a little bit of knowledge can really, really make success happen. And and nothing, nothing increases enjoyment like success. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a success driven thing, especially when you when you do get on to the. I mean, it's the same when you, you know, break the bird, break the target, whatever you, however you want to say it, there's a, a little, little light bulb goes off in your brain. You know, that little dopamine hit, it's a, it's success driven. You know, it was funny for me. I, you know, people ask me, why do you like this so much? Well, as a, as a little kid, I'm talking about when I was 10 years old, we moved to Middletown, New York. I, we lived in Spring Valley, New York, which is a real suburban community, but we moved to the country when I was 10 and the, the first Christmas I was there, my father gave me a Marlin 39M, a little lever action 22. And the, we, were, we had oak, oak woods all around us, mm. tons and tons of squirrels. And the first you know, time I shot a squirrel, I brought it home. I'd shot it in the ribs. And my father told me, he says, you don't shoot a squirrel in the ribs. There's not enough meat on them to do that. You got to shoot them in the head. Well, after that, I was doing my best to shoot them in the head. And the thing that, it was the funniest thing that, you know, I, I actually told this to a friend of mine one time and he's still laughing about it. So hopefully the people that are listening to this will get a kick out of it. But when I was a little kid, dad and I used to watch Westerns and I always thought about the bad guy getting shot off the roof of the saloon, falling out of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. out of the tree. And, uh, and you know, that, that reaction as it fell off the roof, you know, as it came down, right. Well, when you shoot a squirrel, it bounces from branch to branch, you know, so there was a reaction. So when I shoot the squirrel and then it would fall down, I, I just always imagined myself as being the good guy shooting the bad guy. Right. <laughs> and, but the reaction of it, you know, there was a, a definite reaction to what was going on. So when, 
I started shooting shotguns, the reaction part of it, you know, pull the trigger, break the target, that really resonated with me. And the only thing I could think about was the same thing about, you know, the reaction of knocking the squirrel out of the tree and watching the bad guy bounce off the saloon. You know, it was the same reaction. You know, it was, you were, you know, you were, there was a hero aspect of it too. You know, I, I saved the town from the bad guy, you know? Yeah. I got a buddy of mine still, you know, calls me the sheriff, you know, cause I, <laughs> <laughs> I used to shoot the bad guy. You know, so, but anyway, it's whatever, you know, however you come to it, you know, however it strikes you, but that was one of the things. And, and the other side of it too, is my, uh, my mother learned how to make squirrel stew and my father just loved it. And so he gave me the assignment, you know, I want you to keep that, that freezer stocked with squirrel. And he had this thing that if you, if you shot it, you had to clean it, put it in the freezer. And, sure. you know, at some point you're eating. Well, when he figured out that, you know, the squirrel was really good and, you know, I'm not so sure that there wasn't a, a financial aspect of it too, you know, because, you know, we, we ate gross as a squirrel. I mean, we had tons and tons of squirrels that we ate. And, uh, and then, you know, when I got old enough to shoot deer, we, we ate venison too. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was the, that was how I was raised. I was raised eating game and it was when you, when you know how to make it, it's, there's nothing better to eat. Yeah, without a doubt. But I think your your point is well taken with respect to coaching and lessons. You know, I, I would imagine, I guess I've taken sort of one shooting instruction session, one or two, um, something I'd like to do more because I, I think I, I certainly understand the, the improvements that, you know, the room I've got to grow is ample and I'd like to to do some shooting with coaches, but I think so many of us, like you pointed out a number of times in this conversation, we sort of pick it, you know, you pick up the BB gun and no matter how much you shoot, you, at some point you've been doing it for 10 or 15 years. And then there's kind of this expectation in your mind, like, well, I know how to do this. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily need help. And then we start banging our heads against the wall, trying to figure it out ourselves. When in reality, we probably, a lot of us would be well served with a, with a good uh, coaching session. Mm. Yeah. I'm a big believer in it. If you, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, if you read Bob Brister's book, he yep. wrote a book called Shotgunning the Art and the Science. He talks about uh, a girl that uh, lived next door to him, and uh, he took the sights off a Red Rider and had her knocking ping pong balls around the yard just by bringing the gun up and pointing and, you know, pulling the trigger and just hitting that ping pong ball. You know, and it was basically it was a, the primer for pointing as opposed to aiming. When you take the sights off, you, you develop a, a feel for where that BB goes. And believe it or not, a red rider will send the BB in a pretty consistent spot. Not always where the gun's pointing, but you know, if you get one that's pointing you know, re- reasonably where the barrel goes, uh, you, can, you can develop some, some skill at, at just pointing and not trying to get a reference off the target. You know, you're just off the barrel. You're just looking at the target and just sending the shot to that spot. So, you know, there's, you, you could read that book. I read Bob Brister's book and, and did what he said. And it gave me a remarkably effective start when I, when I really started to shoot sporting clays. So there's, there's information all over the place out there. Like this podcast will become hopefully. Yeah. 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 If you look for the information, it's out there. And, you know, typically when somebody finds a podcast like this and hears the things, you know, taking some notes as you're going, you know, go find somebody that's, that's your, you know, local range. will have several level ones. If you're fortunate, they'll have a level two or three. And, you know, those are NSCA uh, 
qualified instructors. Mm. And, you know, just a little bit of help can make such a huge difference. Uh, I, we were talking yesterday about setting this call up, and I, I told you a story about a guy in Montana that used to, uh, his friends would always invite him so they could shoot his limit because he never killed anything. And, and he was kind of fed up with it and super nice guy and had been a Marine. And so I asked him, I said, so when you, when you, uh, shoot your, you know, Marines are known for rifle shooting. And, and he says, yeah. And I, I said, so do you shoot like a rifle? He says, no, nah, I've always tried to shoot with two eyes open because, you know, they, they, everybody says that's how you're supposed to shoot a shotgun. I said, right, right, right. I got you. All right. So I know what's going on here. And he's like, what? I said, you'll have to eye dominant. I can tell you before we even fire a shot. <laughs> and sure enough, we went up there and I put a shell box on the ground and he shot and missed it about two foot to the left. And then I said, try it off this shoulder. And he shot it in the middle. So we spent the rest of that day. Well, we went for about two and a half hours, I guess. And I was getting him to shoot a quartering angle. You know, just a straight, we locked the trapper going straight away. And I, I had him shooting that mounted first and then low gun. And then I had him shooting from the right side and then from the left side. And, you know, most of what he was going to be doing was sharp tails, huns. And, you know, if he was lucky, the occasional pheasant. And I said, most of these are going to be going away from you in some form or fashion. And all you got to do is get to, you know, start from the behind and get to the front edge. Well, I got a Christmas card from him that year. Now, understand, we had not shot, maybe we shot three boxes of shells. But we got him switched over, and I gave him some homework to do about practicing his mount. I said, put your hunting clothes on, get your hunting vest, and practice off this shoulder, just practicing your mount. And he sent me a Christmas card that year and said, I'm not sure I'm going to be invited back next year because I outshot all the guys that I was hunting with. (laughs) And that was with one lesson. So... And I'm not going to tell you that that's an unusual thing. I've had lots of lessons just like that. So, you know, if you're, if you're somebody that's, you know, never don't have very much experience at all, now's the time to get a lesson and start forming good habits. Yeah. You know, you, you can learn it right or you can learn it wrong. And if you learn it wrong, it's, it's the devil's own time to get that crap that you learned out of your head, and start doing it right. Yeah. And I think something that's come up a lot too, that, it, it's a, I think it's a hard thing to figure, try to figure out on your own because it's such a limited feedback thing where it's, you know, if you, you hit a target, you know, you hit it and you, maybe you, you know, maybe you ink blotted it or dusted it, or maybe you chipped it, you know, it wasn't a great hit, but if you miss, you know, it's a clean miss. You, you might not have any idea what's, what's going wrong. So you can start banging your head against the wall, not knowing how you're missing. Well, that that's a funny thing. You know, there's an old saying, I've seen it on any number of gun club walls it says to hit is history to miss is mystery yeah yeah i love that the, yeah and, and you know it's there's a certain amount of a platitude there but the the thing is when you start to really get a feel for how this works and and like i say it doesn't take very long to start getting an idea of the right way to swing a shotgun and the wrong way believe it or not good form is the number one most useful tool for self-diagnosis if, if you make a bad move, you know you made a bad yeah. move. If you made a good move and missed, very often, if you were looking at the target properly, you'll see where the shot went. And I'm not making it up. You'll get an idea. It's like, oh, I was in front of that. You know, this is why so many times guys will miss with the first shot, but connect with the second. You know, they get an idea where they miss with the first one, and they just intuitively change. Notice I didn't say instinctively. I don't believe in instinctive shooting. I believe in intuitive shooting. 
but they, they missed with the first shot and they just got a feeling, Oh, that was too much front. They let the target catch up a little bit more and pull the trigger and get it with the second. You know, if you ever shot fit task where there's so many single targets presented, you'll, you would have more of an idea what I'm talking about there. You know, we, when you shoot a lot of singles with clay, you clay singles, you'd be amazed at how good people are with their second shot. And it's, it really comes down to them you know, getting a feel for where they were. They had a sighting in shot with the first one, got an idea where it went, and then fixed it for the next one. Yeah. Well, same same thing happens when you're shooting birds. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen people that were a way better shot with their second shot than they were with their, with their first. And it's got more to do with the second shot being more intuitively executed. You know, it's more, it, it's more vision influenced. Your vision was the only thing. It wasn't a conscious brain thought. It was a feel that was felt by your hands and your eyes, which is what your subconscious uses to steer the gun yep. and fix for the second shot. You know, if you ever shot sporting clays, how many times have you had a rabbit go three foot in the air just before you pull the trigger? Right. Yeah, it's happened. Right? <laughs> Get two and a half pounds on a three pound trigger. That rabbit goes up, you go right with it and smack it. Well, that's, that's your subconscious responding to the evasive action that the rabbit has just taken. So, you know, these are things that, you know, if you're seeing the bird well, these are things that your subconscious can do. Uh, I was I was going to ask you uh, when you were talking about rabbits earlier, is there a, and maybe this is a, well, it is an oversimplification, but are you, do you try to shoot the rabbit on the hop or just as it's touching down or is there, is there a, a thing that you're always trying to do? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things about a rabbit that, and you know, targets in general. Uh, if you're, if you're thinking about, trying to pigeonhole it there there's some truth to being able to do something for me if i was just going to tell you how to shoot a rabbit i go bounce bounce bang that's my timing on a rabbit presented on a you know on a a putting green right but very often rabbits are not set up on a putting green so they'll go bounce bounce and then halfway you know just as they're coming off the ground they hit a root and they go four feet in the air well if they're doing that consistently i wait for the bounce but I've seen so many of them that did six or seven of them bounced off that route. And then the eighth one stayed six inches off the ground. What do you do then? Cause that's still a good target. So the best thing to do is get an average of what that rabbit's doing, get an average of what you want to do, and then look at it as hard as you can and know that you're ready to respond. All you got to do is get the gun to that rabbit and it's going to break, whether it's four feet in the air or six inches off the ground, you get your gun to it, you'll be fine. So ultimately I look at the pattern of what the target's doing and then understand that I got to be ready for it not to do that because that's the worst thing about a rabbit. I mean, how many times have you seen a shortstop catch, you know, a grounder in the teeth while well, it gets come off the seam, you know, the baseball hits the ground just right. You know, maybe there's a blade of grass there caught it just right. Yeah. You know, it happens. Yeah. It's the same thing with a rabbit. You cannot predict what a rabbit's going to do. So you got to be ready for anything. And, and the being ready for anything is get the gun to the target and know that you can shoot a hundred of them, shoot them all perfectly, and score a ninety-five because five of them are going to screw you. Right. That's just how it is. You know that's why they call it sporting clays, and it's hardly ever shot. Any any time I've ever shot a hundred straight, I got on my knees and thank God for smiling on me that day <laughs> because it, it's an act of God more than anything. You know, it's it's not something that happens regularly. And, and the guys that did it say, yeah, I only knocked that one in half and that rabbit took a funky hop, but I still knocked the bottom off it. They can all go through the four lucky ones that they should have shot a 96 on. Right. Which would have been a good score. Uh, there's a guy, uh, 
Dominic's last name down here. Dominic Gross down here at the uh, Browning Briley last year shot 100 straight on a course that I just went. I, I was never that good on my best day. And and I went over to Dominic, and Dominic is such a good guy. You know, he just I said to him, man, that 100 was just greedy. And he laughed, and he says, yeah, it's, I couldn't keep the surprise look off my face at the end of it. <laughs> there was a rabbit out there that was probably 40, little, little more than 40 yards away that, I mean, anybody can miss one of them. Mm. You know, to, to run that thing was, you know, incredible. But anyway, it was, like I say, you know, it's, it's sporting clays is rarely one with 100 straight. You know, this is why nobody hits every bird they shoot at. You know, it's, there's just so many variables and so many different things that can happen. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, it's why we, why we keep coming back. Yeah. And that's, uh, we're, we're getting pretty close here to wrapping up and there's a lot of ground we left uncovered and, uh, I'm just going to use it as a tease to, we'll get, we'll get Andy back on the show in the near future, but I did want to kind of emphasize one of your points and sort of bring this full circle in that focusing on, you know, you, you brought up earlier the results for focus versus action focus. I've, I've heard a, a lot of sort of the way that you talk about shotgunning before. I don't know if I've, if I recall it being laid out that way, but I love that, you know, you we're focusing on the part that you can control the process or the actions that you're taking and letting the results come. And that's, that sort of approach is, is paralleled in a lot of areas in life and, and the positive benefits of doing so. But one thing I will say that I've noticed you, you commented about Having good form is one of the best ways to ensure or, or to avoid a lot of mistakes. And I will say that one thing that I've started to do in the last few years is a lot more practice mounting the shotguns. And, you know, and sometimes it, it, you, know, you might read that and think it sounds silly to, to be practice mounting your shotgun in the, in the garage. But I have found that to be incredibly beneficial in that most of my misses now, I don't track it or, or know, but I, I can pretty much assure that most of my misses are related to some form of mismount. And you can feel that because you know what a good mount is from doing your practice. Yeah, well, the best fit gun in the world, if you don't mount it right, isn't going to help you. Exactly. So the thing about practicing your mount, there's, there's, there's many, there are a good number of different benefits to practicing your mount. The first, you know, if you're grooving the move if you're learning how to move your front hand first and ease your gun up into your face mm. if if you have carved that neural pathway of how to mount the gun properly so much without the distraction of a target in front of you they sell a thing at the back of shotgun sports magazine it's a little laser when you close the gun it depresses the primer that turns the laser on and it shows where your gun's pointing and and you can use that that laser dot to to move on the, the line where your wall and ceiling meet. And you'd be amazed at how difficult it is to keep that dot on that line, or at least reasonably close to that line. And that, that drill of practicing moving your front hand is so unbelievably productive in whatever you do with a shotgun. Learning how to bring the gun to your face from a low gun position is, I mean, I can't tell you how, how much of a, a benefit that is. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is you never miss. I don't know about you, but I never miss in my head. When I'm practicing my mount, every time that gun hits my face, I've hit the target. Looks pretty good. <laughs> and then one of the things that your brain has to know, you know, what you got to know about your brain is there is no difference between fact and fantasy to your subconscious. If you mount the gun properly and in your mind, you see that target go into a million pieces or you see that grouse tumble, you just successfully 
shot a shotgun according to your subconscious. So you build confidence from your subconscious when you're handling your shotgun. And that's, that's something uh, I, I like handling my shotgun. I pick my shotgun up regularly and wave it around. I, my guns are always, I mean, I really like how I set my guns up and how they feel between my hands. It just, I like wave them around because it's, it's just a precursor to the next time I'm going to actually get to turn a target inside out. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, putting, you know, putting the time in, you know, if you don't get to go to a range, but you practice your mount, you're not going to be that far behind the curve when the time comes to pull the trigger over your bird dog. My father, that was something my father did. You know, he lived in, we lived in an apartment in Yonkers, New York, he had a little 20 gauge 101. He was he, you know, coming up on the hunt season. He'd pick it up and wave it around. And my father was known as being a phenomenal game shot. Really was. Well, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree, Andy. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I lost some. I uh, lost them a year ago, and I, I, I miss them every day. You know, oh, think man. about think about all the things that that he taught me, and you know, all the things that we did, and you know, and I just it's uh, it was it was a good way to to be raised. It was a good thing overall. Yeah. Sounds like it. Well, man, the moving the gun with your lead hand first, that's something that I think gets overlooked a lot, or it's, it's kind of a foreign concept for a lot of people. We will, we'll save that for another time. I just want to put this out there, Andy, if, if you're interested, I will, uh, I will ask listeners to, if they, they're interested and when we get you back on, they will, they have questions about game shooting and shotgunning. They want to send those questions into me, fire my way. And, and maybe we'll do a little Q and a session. What do you think, Andy? I, I love that. Yeah, it's always, uh, you know, you're sitting in a gun club and talking about stuff. You know, I used to, when I was the grouse, the uh, chief instructor for the Rough Grouse Society, you know, we do the national hunt. And there was always a time where a bunch of guys would be sitting around talking about stuff. And and uh, there's there's so many, you know, with all those hunting guys up there, you know, it wasn't just me talking. You know, there's a lot of hunting guys. You know, what do you see guys do the wrong the most? You know, that was, when you got guys that are just handling the dogs and watching the guns, you know, trying to shoot the birds, you'd be amazed at the information that a, a hunting guide can share with you because they've seen it all, mm. you know, and it's, uh, I always really got a kick out of listening to them guys because they were, they were far more observant than you ever expected them to be. You know, they, they see it all and they, they generally form some pretty strong opinions as to what's causing it and not often wrong either. Right. Right. Yeah. I, rem- I remember seeing you shoot up. That was the first time I, I think I ever probably came across you. I, I was up there one of those years and, and saw you shooting and you were shooting from the hip. And I was going to, I was going to ask you, I don't know if we talked about this when I had you on the first time, but what's the, what's the secret to smashing a 40 yard clay from the hip? Is that just strengthening that connection between your brain and, and where you're pointing the gun? Well, that's a, that's a good, it's an excellent question. It really is. <laughs> um, so, you know, when, when you see, Tiger Woods bouncing a ball on the on a club face and then he just whacks it in the air and then hits it like that. That's our version yeah. of that. Right. And what it is when I talk about hands and eyes, uh, what I did to learn how to do it is I put a target on the ground and I would just from my hip, I would point my hand and my, I point my finger alongside the barrels and I would just point and see where the, where the shot impacted. I just shoot impact, shoot impact. Until so you learn where the gun is pointing from a low gun position. Mm. And once you get a feel for that, it's, it's amazing that, uh, you know, you can do that at, at, you know, long distance, you know, it's, it's really remarkable how you can just look at a bird and point out in front and pull the trigger. Now, when you bring the gun to your face, you're getting so much more information as to where the gun 
is in relation to the bird that it's it's much more consistent. Right. But it's still remarkable how consistent you can be shooting without looking down the rib. And you know when you're talking about trusting the shot, that's you know shooting from the hip was something that that I learned how to do. It was really it was quite a remarkable thing. You know, from I've I've had where I was about to pull the trigger and realized my head was nowhere near the gun, and my hand would just pull the gun down to where it needed to be because I had an idea of you know where it was and how it was about to go wrong. Anyway, it's it's a, it's a trick. It's a parlor parlor trick, but there's some benefit to it. There's some there's some actual skill to know how to do it, and you know to just knock something around on the ground. It does take long to learn. You know, it's hard hard to trust under a pressure situation. Really. Right, right. But it's it, to your point. It's the honing of hand eye coordination over a long period of time, and and that's really what it is. It's more the honing of feeling the target. You know, I know where the gun's pointing from down there because I've seen it, you know, when I knock the target around on the ground. Right. I'm feeling, I'm feeling where the gun is. And, and that really invests your shooting when you bring the gun to your face. You're still feeling where the gun's going. Sure. So, yeah. anyway. Cool. I, I know you got to run. I want to, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. It was good to catch up with you, Andy. And like I said, we'll, uh, We'll tease listeners uh, they can send questions to me, Nick, at birdshotpodcast.com, and maybe we'll gather them up and get you back on. There was stuff I wanted to talk to you about, side-by-sides, over-unders, all kinds of ground we, we left uncovered. So we'll definitely have you back on the show, Andy. Sure, Nick. I look forward to it. All right. You have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.